0: This is coming from some version of creativity. We've lost all of that because today a lot of artists who want to have their paintings in galleries in New York have to get commissioned pay- paintings that, you know, they know will sell. So uh, I'm going to paint rich people's dogs and then say, I painted Madame so-and-so's puppy who is already famous and somebody will want to have it on their wall. So the New York gallery is going to carry that. But if I say I'm going to you know depict the skid row of L.A., and put it on a canvas and really move people by no no gallery in new york is going to carry that because your expression is worth nothing
1: welcome to the creative chats podcast with mike brennan hey friends welcome to another episode of creative chats i am your host mike brennan And this is the podcast where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. And I love to unpack these things mostly with my guests and explore how we can apply these things to our own creative processes and journeys. Now, I would love to also invite you to subscribe to the Daily Creative Habit email newsletter. Nobody needs more emails, I get that. But this email that I send out once a week is packed with some inspiration, some resources. I give daily creative prompts for you if you're looking for something to get you out of the rut, to kind of get the juices flowing, perfect for you. Also, we have a community over on Facebook that is called Daily Creative Habit as well. And uh, I would love for you just to be taking a step to, to be a part of that community. Um, come around people who are like-minded, raising their hands to say, I want to show up more consistently for my creativity and craft. So if that's you, head on over to dailycreativehabit.com and you'll find all those resources there. Hey, I'd also love to invite you to check out my book, Make Fun a Habit. It's the creative playbook for making life and work fun again. If you have felt like fun has up and left the building somewhere along the way, I think we all do uh, at some point, you find yourself centering around some practicality and responsibility and all the adulting words, (laughs) if you need a little bit more fun in your life, in your work, in your experience, then I wanna invite you to grab a copy of my book. It's 30 short chapters that give you some inspiration, some practical application and exercises so that you can start to experience some more fun in and around your life. Go to makefunahabit.com and grab your copy today. Hey, I have a very candid conversation today with my guest about compassion and creativity. And this is something that I think uh, not a lot of people talk about. There's a lot of talk about creativity for personal expression and for commerce. But in terms of the intersection of compassion and creativity, I think there's some pretty amazing things that can happen. And I have a conversation with Compassivist founder, Ali Horiot, and he talks a little bit about why compassion and creativity are so important to him and what he's done as a result of having this impact his life. He shares some pretty amazing stories and experiences, and I can't wait for you to hear what he has to say and also to hear more about his just movement, which is called Compassivist. And so there's some information at the end of this episode as far as where you can go to find out some more information. Be sure to tune in for that. But without further ado, here is my Creative Chat with Ali Horiad. Well, Ali, welcome to the Creative Chats podcast. Thanks so much for being here today. Hello, and thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here awesome well uh before we go too far into things i always love to just turn things back over to the guest and say in your own words tell us who you are and what you do like when you're at a party or something you're gathering and people are meeting you like what do you say to them i say hi my name is ali that's how (laughs) i started (laughs) and
0: uh if you want to know a little more about me then um i tell them Um, The short version or the long version of my life story. And the short version basically is: um, went to school, did a lot of schooling, and couldn't get a job because I was overeducated, underqualified in terms of no job experience. And so I started on my own, did really well in the finance world. One day um, I had a moment and uh, I said, The hell with this? It's not bringing me any more satisfaction. Um, And so I realized all the things that I love about what money, what makes me happy are not the stuff money brings to me. Um, And so I needed a change. And that was the flipping moment in my life. And from there, um, I started um, a journey of five years um, traveling and and just uh, getting to know Ali. And uh, when I found Ali again, you know, one thing led to another, and eventually, Compassivist was born. Compassivist is the movement I started. Um, it's a word I uh, put together, uh, it just means compassionate activist uh, because I really believe everything we do should come from compassion, and compassion should lead the way. So, all the creative juices that you see flowing are through compassion, they're generally not made with the concept of, I should do this to make a billion dollars. You know, if that happens along the way, then great, but they're never made with that context in mind. Whereas the majority of the world today is in this um, tunnel vision, capitalist drive of, I need to make money, I need to make money, and they forget the creativity. So you, you have artists today who are no longer, say, painting what they want to express because that may not sell in the gallery in New York, but they're doing what sells and they never become great because they're never doing what their heart is on. They're they're not putting their heart on the canvas. And so when you're commissioned and stuff, you know, things like that. And so I decided to build Compassivists in a way to say, if we come together and if we build that collective of what we believe in as various different genres and, you know, medias of artists, we may just be able to overcome, you know, how do we pay rent to create a format where we can pay rent. And we can still do what
1: we love to do instead of calling it work. Yeah, that's Ali. Yeah, I love it. Love it. Uh, I feel like we we dove in deep right from the beginning, which is awesome. (laughs) Um, And I love the um, just the heart behind this. Um, And you know, I'm sure that that what you said in someone making money, but also following their passion, that being something that resonates with a lot of creative people. um, That's something I've felt, uh, that's something I know a lot of my friends have felt. And I think this whole thing of like, it has to be one or the other uh, lie and myth, you know, I'm glad that you're, you're stepping into that and saying like, look, this is there is another way possible. And rooted in like what it sounds like, really, if I could put a word around it, authenticity, right? Because your story in going away and saying, you know, I need to find find Allie again. um, I've had a similar experience where you know I walked away from my creativity and art for about 10 years, and it was depression that actually brought me back to this sense of going. I remember when I was a kid, I used to to create. And can I get back to that? Can I get back to this place of the things I enjoyed? that brought me joy that also brought other people joy as i was doing it because i'm showing up how i'm supposed to be in this world how i was wired to to you know be and um i appreciate you sharing that part of your story because i think too many times we we put these expectations on ourselves that come from outside from other people and like you said maybe it's you know just the industries or whatever that this is the way you have to do something um and yet listening to yourself figuring out what's important to you being in that place of authenticity is is key um i'm wondering if you could speak a little bit into uh, why compassion is so important to you
0: okay um so the thing about compassion is people it's Become um, a bit misconstrued in terms of help or care or these kind of um, you know synonyms attached to it, and really it's not. It's about putting yourself in another person's shoes and understanding how the global harmony is not about you. It's about everybody together. The animals, you know, the fish, the, the everything, the plants, you, um, your neighbor, the person you'll never meet all the way across the world and compassion to me is creating a world and being a part of that momentum which can always improvise on the state that we're in so if i'm compassionate about making the world better let's say i'm very wealthy and i say oh i'm compassionate about making the world better i'm just going to donate a ton of money and post it on my twitter that's not compassion compassion is you thinking What can I do through my industry, with my group, with my people, with my neighborhood, with whatever connections that I have to actually make a difference, to see that difference in play? And that becomes compassion. So it entails activism because if you're compassionate, you have to act. And activism is only acting with a purpose. Mm -hmm. So if you're acting with a purpose, you have to feel the purpose first. You can't just get up, you know, take it in the most random context sports, you're playing basketball, you aim for the basket, you have to intent to aim for the basket for your body to then go into the active mode of taking that shot. So intention is the compassion for scoring hmm. in a place where it's not competitive, because that score means both teams get two points if the basket goes in,
1: yeah. right.
0: Yeah. And so there's no competition in there. And you you score everybody cheers on both teams. And then, you know, the action happens and everything's wonderful. That is a compassionate activism. And it doesn't go well in sports because it's generally competitive. So it makes no sense for you to score for both teams. But the concept is everybody goes higher. And so that is the concept of compassion for me. It's kind of... It's old. I mean, you know, uh, you go back into history and and, uh, you look at religious history from Moses to Jesus. uh, You know, there's there's compassion stories there. There's always compassion stories, and those compassion stories are not for the self. It was never for Jesus to have free meals or free place to sleep that he went out and did all of what he did. Now, whether it's religious or you take it from an atheist. Um, philosophy, there was such a story. And let's just call it that, you know, so everybody can agree on it. There was such a story, there was such a person, he came and he said, let's be good to each other. And there's no benefit to the self. But there was benefit to the self through the collective. And I think that is the point of compassion is to increase the collective's well being and harmony through the actions of the self Mm -hmm. herself.
1: Yeah, yeah. Was there something maybe that you can think of that was a, a moment where you experienced that um, maybe extreme compassion for you personally or maybe it was a lack of that really um, solidified this for you as something you needed to pursue like uh, to this level yes well
0: um, compassion has been a part of my life most of my life because uh, i grew up in a household where and an environment i i was born in dubai and I grew up uh, partially in Dubai and Switzerland in, in school. And um, I grew up in an environment in Dubai back then. This is, you know, uh, many decades ago where everybody kind of knew everybody Everybody helped everybody out. Um, I remember, you know, my dad, his uh, colleagues at work and whatnot. There was always this kind of compassion with money. There was compassion at home. There was the extended family supporting all the time. Uh, you know with the kids with other things community neighbors um, all of those things so I grew up with that sense of compassion so to speak in my community but then when I when I moved to Toronto I studied there and I started working there and and then you know um, I got into the finance world it all left compassion became something of you know um talking to your accountants, how much do you have to write off uh, you know what right. do i give this charity and what th- that became compassion compassion became an issue of hey ali you know you, you have to lease a car for this much this year because otherwise it's going to garbage and and the money you give the government essentially was taught as going to garbage It was never taught that hey you know give this taxes because it helps this healthcare or this and that no just milk it any way you can right so even your charity became a milking mechanism you you have your name on a billboard or you become part of the board of certain hospital because you gave so much so it, it all left me and i don't know how that happened but just the system works you and and it mm-hmm. happens uh, you know the wealthier you become the more entrenched you get into these mechanisms and the better your lawyers the better your accountants become the more high priced and the more they teach you of these tricks I used to work in an area where it's kind of like the Wall Street of New York in Toronto mm-hmm. and around that area. Um, there were a lot of homeless people as well. Um, and so I made it a habit to have lunch with homeless people to take a break away from the world that I was in in finance and, and trading and all of that um, hectic world. And so one of the times um, that i went to lunch with a homeless person and i did that not really out of charity or, or or food or anything it was more selfish and i'll be very honest about that it was more selfish because it was for my entertainment so to speak as well as helping them so every once in a while i'd get a story that touched me or that I'll, uh, you know i thought hey you know this person has a master's degree like uh, you know there's so much going on but something a trauma uh, ruin their lives, you know, and, and they can be helped again. And it really didn't cost that much, you know, relatively speaking for me. So I would help them re reestablish themselves. And there, there are quite a few people who, you know, uh, that has happened with me. So I was always looking for that kind of thing, um, in a sense. But at the same time, a lot of it was entertaining, because they see things and say things and, you know, relate stories from a completely different world. And uh, I also had some kind of uh, street cred with them because um, you know you're in that environment and it's the same people and when they see you you know hey you know and they and, and they take care of you and if there's somebody you know uh, trying to ask for it, no no don't ask him you know he's one of us kind of thing so there's this whole uh, community aspect to it so one time I saw one of the guys down there and said let's go to lunch it's okay so I came, came along and we went into um, a fast food joint and we walked in and uh, it was owned by a family. And we walked in and, and the owner, um, the guy was at the counter. And as soon as I came toward, it, he said, he can't be in here. And I said, why? And he said, he's a bum. And I said, what do you mean he's a bum? He's a paying customer. And he said, no, no, look at him. He's a bum. I know he's he's homeless. And I said, what, what does that matter to you? you? Do you ask me for my home address when I come to order a burger from your joint for $5? You know, he's a paying customer. That's all you need to know. And uh, so, you know, we started arguing, and he was just, you know, putting his foot down. And I think he was doing that partially because he didn't want this person to come into the store again, because they do that they treat them in a way to kind of draw that barrier, you're not allowed in here, even if it's minus 30 outside, you just don't come in, right. So I started noticing in that moment that this was a matter of um, financial evaluation, we were putting a dollar sign on every human being. And so I thought about that for a second as he was going on and on. And I said, wait, wait, wait! you're saying this person can't walk in because his net worth is zero. He can't afford to pay the food because, you know, there's no law that says his dress, his outfits, shabby or anything like that, um, that he can't come in. And so if you're going to calculate things by this measure, by this variance, your net worth to this gentleman is here to here your net worth to me is here to here so our net worth is so much further than your net worth to that person and so if that's the case then i should be treating you like i should just stand on the counter pull my pants down and just pee all over your establishment because i can because that's my net worth it gives me the allowance to do that by your definition of how we identify and how we relate to each other and so uh you you know, he was taken back by that. And I said, you know what? On top of that, my net worth also allows me to call my litigation lawyer, who I pay anyways, because he's on a monthly retainer, and bring him down here and say, how much fun can we have here? Because, you know, I have nothing better to do with my afternoons. I mean, you know, I'd be on the bill, and my lawyer can fill me in on how he's ruining your life. Hmm. So how would you like that? And his wife at that point, you know, she realized this is escalating. And so, um, and I was a known figure, so, you know, they, they, they didn't want that. And she stepped in and she said, Ali, uh, you know, maybe you had a bad day. My husband had a bad day. We had some problems in the morning, you know, whether she made it up or not or whatever, and she came to me and said, don't worry about it. What do you want? And I said, she's like, don't you, you don't need to pay. It's okay. And she herself brought the food to the table and was nice to the person there and all we sat and, you know, as. I wanted to start eating. And I was like, Okay, so how, how have you been, you know, what's your story? Um, he's just staring at me, the homeless person. And I said, What's wrong? And he's like, Why did you do all of that? And I said, What do you mean? He's like, I could just wait it outside and you giving me the food in the bag. And I said, No, no, you're human. I'm human. We're cool. We sit at the same table. We eat together. That's what this mm-hmm. is all about. Yeah. And he's like, No, we're not. And I said, What do you mean? We're not? He's like, You're a superhuman. He's an average human. I'm a unnecessary human. Hmm. That was the moment that everything hit me. And so he told me a story. We ate and we left. And when we left, uh, you know, I got some extra food, gave it to him, shared with his friends, whatever. We parted ways. Um, And I was really uh, walking back to my building i was really hurt i was like this 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 yeah. is really awful because i do this too i'm knowingly i do this i categorize people because i can't just go to you know the ceo of uh, one of the floors in my building and say hey buddy let's go for lunch because i said so he wouldn't or she wouldn't you know yeah. they say wait appointment blah blah my calendar would be so much so much to organize i can just do that but i can do that with with them because i feel like i have authority. And so I started deconstructing this from so many different ways, and I realized how awful I've become. Hmm. In, in the name of being a compassionate person, in the name of oh, Ali's so helpful, Ali's so compassionate, Ali gives so much to charity, Ali's always helping people. But it, Ali wasn't. You know, Ali was just enjoying the philanthropy, and and that's the problem with philanthropy. You know, it's become this kind of uh, inter- hobby, so to speak, more than cause. And I was disgusted with myself for a moment and I thought, you know, I, I need I need a moment to think and, and I got into my car instead of going upstairs. I drove to the airport and I looked uh, at the departures list um, and I said to myself, um, I need to get away to think like this was really awful for me for. A moment. I don't know why it hit me so hard that one time, but it just did. And mm. I look at the board and all the flights are like six, seven, eight hours away. There's only one flight that's about an hour and a half away to departure. That's going to Quito, Ecuador. And I've, n- I've never been there. I know it's far. I have no clue. I have not booked a hotel, nothing. So I'm like, you know what, if I don't go away on this, I'm probably gonna go back home and just get over it and then go back mm-hmm. to work tomorrow and do the same thing. I'm not gonna change. I need to change this. This is not good. I get on that flight, believe it or not. And uh, I didn't know how long it was, but, you know, many, many hours later, I <laughs> thought it would be like a six hour flight. But no, you know, no. half a day later, I'm in <laughs> Quito. And uh, so, you know, I, I get out of the airport, I'm like hotel, you know, so the cabbie I'm like, what's the best hotel here? And so the, the cabbie takes me there and, and I stayed there for about um, two weeks. And, you know, it changed, it it really changed my perspective, because I became friends with some of the guys who work at the hotel, and they started taking me around places, you know, their own things to do barbecues, and um, they showed me, you know, their homes, I mean, these people lived in the mountains, they had hummingbirds right in front of their door, you know, And, and just beautiful, beautiful life and scenery and so like mellow and just very different from how I was living, even on my vacations, you know, even the trips to Vegas was hectic. Uh, so um, yeah, it it gave me perspective. And I said, you know what, I can't do this anymore. That's when I quit. And I turned my life around. And how did I do that? It takes about five years of traveling, and um, putting together what became Compassivist uh, you know, the, the, the movement. Yeah. And, uh, essentially that was, that was the point that 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 was the one, you know, catalyst for
1: change. That was the ignition that one, uh, fast food joint. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, what an incredible story. And and honestly, you know, like I, I know that you probably don't want to receive it this way, but I want to say like, you know, props to you for actually listening and leaning in in that moment. Um, because I think most people, would not want to sit with that level of uncomfortability and the impetus for change that's staring them in the face um and so that I think really underscores <laughs> just your experience the the what you did out of that and now I'm I'm curious to get into now how that flourished into what you're doing with with compassivist um, right what where did that come from? Like, what did that look like? Was that an idea that just came? Like, talk a little bit about like your creation process of that. Like, how did that come about? Obviously, you're in this place of like, I quit. I'm changing things and I'm, 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 there's a direction change. So talk a little bit about like that part of the story. So I'll tell you this. Um, it was a bumpy ride.
0: That first bit was so had so much more clarity than the rest. So I reached Quido and I'm there, and I say, I need to change, and I need to do better, and I was wealthy, so I said, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give money, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna write, because I used to write all the time, and the writing started in early on in school, in middle school, I used to be, I used to be the, uh, you know, boisterous kid in school, and the reason for that was not because because I was evil, but because I used to get bored, I used to catch on to the lessons quickly, and I'd get bored. So for the rest of the class, I would just, you know, just, you know, when, when a kid's bored, they, they do, they lash out in that way. So the teachers started making me write as the school classroom was going on. They put, pulled me to the side and did me write stories, and that started, you know, working out. And then I used to always write. And I said, I'm going to write, I'm going to put my thoughts on paper. I'm going to say what we need to do for change. I'm gonna I'm gonna build this manifesto, so to speak. But that was part of the addiction to money and that was part of the hypocrisy because I started moving from Kyoto to different cities around the world and even though I said I'm going to go see the worst parts of the world and I'm going to see uh, you know disasters so that I can feel it I can understand it I can see what needs to be changed I was moving from four seasons to four seasons I was moving from the Ritz Carlton here to the Ritz Carlton there and mind you most countries in the world have a four seasons even in, in in the most you know desperate places in the world you could go to places that have 60 poverty but then there's that one percent that still you know move the four seasons so i was doing that and i was sitting poolside and uh, you know enjoying my life um and uh writing and thinking that i'm gonna make change by being philanthropic like most other people and so again one day um i realized i'm lying to myself i'm continuing this lie the only difference is i'm not in the ivory tower in toronto i'm I'm in resort i'm basically taking an extended vacation that's all i'm doing it's not helping anybody and that's when i realized hey it's about the money it's not about how you can help or anything it's about the money you are using your money as a weapon and it's not a good weapon it's not uh, you know there's really not that much good that comes from a gun it, You know, even if you're defending yourself, at the end of the day, somebody's got to die with it. So there's not much good holding on to a gun. And money for me was in that capacity at that moment. So what do I do? I call my lawyer. I say, I want to close. And he's panicking at this point because, like, what's going on? Where are you? You know, blah, blah, blah. It's been a few months now. And I said, I want to shut down. And he tries to talk me out of it. I said, no, I want to shut down. And I did. And then we paid out all my investors and shut everything down. And then there was a lump sum of money that was mine. And I thought that lump sum, that's the problem. What do I do? I gave it all away Hmm. and it was a little over 100 million dollars. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And um, gave my house away as well. And um, so I was broke when when I tell you I was broke. I actually slept in train stations um, for some nights. And it took five years of living hand to mouth in places like Iraq, Turkey, uh, Egypt, Jordan, um, You know, through the Middle East and its problems through Europe and, and poor areas, I mean, even in Paris and stuff. Um, so yeah, I did the whole trip and I did that. And through that trip, what came to my mind was You know what? It's about the collective. It's not about the wealthy. It's not about um, make Elon Musk money so that you can give away 5% of it to help people that your wealth and your inequality gap that's causing this is causing that problem. If you don't have this, then you don't have that. So you know, there's no point me making a billion dollars to give away 10 million dollars to homelessness in Toronto. I should be making, I should cap myself at 1 billion because I don't need more. Nobody needs more, for example, right? And take the rest and use that for policy. And so I thought, I don't have that money. And I'm not going to go back to my world and rebuild myself again because I was already there. So what I need to do is to raise all the people who are not in that position of, I don't care. I want to be on the Forbes list. That's all. That's my goal. I don't care if the climate change, I don't care about anything. I just want to be there no matter what industry it is. Not those people, but all the people who are suffering, who want change, who believe we need change for whatever reason, whether it's social issues or uh, climate issues or what it is, immigration issues, anything. We need change to come together and say, look, um, we don't need to have a fiery revolution. It doesn't need to be the French Revolution. Uh, you know, It could be as peaceful as the Indian Revolution, as the Indian independence. But what we need is enough people to band together and say, we need change, and we think this is the way to change. And when I speak with people, I speak You know, it could be you. It could be anybody else. Nobody has really come to me and said, no, no, your idea is wrong. We don't need change or your idea is wrong. Everybody's happy or your idea is wrong. The world is fabulous. Nobody's saying that right now, Uh, you know, uh, across the world, across the entire planet. And so I think if everybody agrees that we have a problem it's just a matter of putting that sentence into uh, putting the words into a sentence that everybody agrees on what is the problem you know and that's where capacity really started the problem is we are becoming desensitized and indifferent to the globe and so compassion is the issue there's a lack right now and if we can bring compassion and attach the activism to it which is the action that moves the emotion then we can create change so it's not about you know right now in the us um you know you have this um political agenda of of two parties that uh, you know are on two different sides of the political um discussion And uh, they go against each other and they attack each other. And those are your choices. You know, it's either this or that. And they're both horrible. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry, but they are. You know, I speak to Democrats. I speak to Republicans. (laughs) They they both have their issues. And you you can't pick the best of both worlds. You know, there is no such thing. You either pick this horrible or you pick that horrible. But you just got to pick one and the powers and the money that's involved in these powers don't allow the system to there's no democracy what kind of democracy is that you have two choices that you don't like but you have to pick one and if you don't pick one then it doesn't matter anyways because your voice didn't count and beyond that you have no actual uh, say in anything you don't pick the judiciary you don't pick you don't pick anybody after that so all you do is pick, pick this one person who sits in an office who also doesn't have all the power because there are different you know, houses of uh, the Congress and all that that have the power essentially. So really, there's no democracy, but we think there is. This is you know that person. You go to another country, there's another issue. You go to another country, there's everywhere there are these issues that people face, whether it's political or social. Again, in the United States, you know, three thousand people are kidnapped daily. Nobody's talking about it. You know, we have all these social issues, all all this Jeff Epstein kind of things that pop up. You know, there's a lot of things happening, and this is. You know, this is the place, why why do I pick on the US? I'm not picking on the US, I'm just saying, this is the country that we all look up to for guidance. It's the truth. every country in the world right now kind of looks at the US for some kind of guidance, some kind of support, some kind of um, collaboration. Even the EU is doing that, you know? And so as a leader, if that is troubling and faulty, You can't expect much from Rwanda and Iraq and and Afghanistan and all these other places. I mean, why, why are people coming here and saying, oh, these are horrible people? Well, the U.S. was in Afghanistan for 20 years. What happened? So we need change. We need real change. And we need real talk. And so Compassive is about that. It's about. It's not about let's raise some money so we can, uh, you know, help this little town that got flooded to uh, rebuild their homes. Because yeah, we'll rebuild their homes. That's great. But there'll be another flood in six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, you know, I we have compassivis Foundation, which is the charity arm of the compassivis Octopus, because there there are eight arms. And in the charity arm, for example, we're helping the Maasai community as one of one of the things we're doing, and. Um, I have a friend there um, who is a uh, you know Harvard uh, PhD physicist, and uh, he's quit his life and, and moved there to help these people, um, you know, live better. And we're helping them, but we can help them all we want, and we can have you know Bill Gates' money come and help us. But as long as the environment deteriorates, they're suffering because they rely on the environment that they knew. For the last few centuries. They don't have the tech, they don't have the knowledge to advance into this new arid, disastrous, you know, apocalyptic kind of life. So we can't really help. We're only, mm-hmm. it's only surface wounds that we're kind of you know covering. We're we're not we're not finding solutions. And so again, compassivist becomes an issue where I keep thinking, so I'm I'm getting money from all these people who are donating kindly and we're doing all this good work and it's transparent and they see that we're doing the work but it's also problematic in a sense because you know while we're doing this we're not stopping all of the disasters all of the overconsumption that is causing this in the first place so let's try to get to overconsumption you know what is the problem there and so through education and through the collective and through a community we can start making those changes and we can start hitting back at the modern uh, when I say modern, I'll explain this in a second, modern capitalism uh, in the sense that today capitalism isn't about, um, you know, putting your best foot forward. That original thought of capitalism, capitalism was not cutthroat, kill everybody in your way, make all the money and get away. It wasn't that when if you read the original books of capitalism and the idea of it, it was just basically if you work really hard, we'll reward you. You know, we'll reward you if you work really hard. And none of the pioneers of capitalism worked for money. They just had these lovely ideas, lovely inventions, and we just gave them the labs and we gave them the spaces so that they can continue growing and doing these things. It wasn't about, hey, you have a patent, so now it's worth a billion dollars and we're going to put it in here and it's going to become this kind of instrument financially and now it's going to get this kind of derivative from it and, and such complicated methods just to add a million dollars into your account for no reason. So it wasn't that. Today, capitalism's changed a lot. It's not what it used to be. And so in today's capitalism, you know, we have a problem. We have a problem because we we want... GDP growth all the time, we want uh, all of these things, this overconsumption is mandated upon us, when we talk about environmental issues, no government is educating the communities or their or their nations about how to calculate carbon, what to understand, you know, like, I'll give you an example, nutrition figures, if I tell you, you know, I'm at around 2000 calories a day, You're like, okay, that's average. You automatically think that, right? But if I tell you I'm at around 7,000 calories a day, you're like, that's not, you know, it's not average. Most people in the United States know that metric. They know what a calorie is. Most people in the United States and the world do not know what a gram of carbon is, or they don't even know what it's calculated. I've actually, I was in London and England, and I walked into a a climate protest and I asked someone, I said, um, I... Spend um three meters per cube second of carbon a day is that good and the person turned around to me and said yeah you know you may want to reduce it a little i'll tell you how you can do that if you go on this website they teach you they start going on it, and i was like wait you didn't even get it i just said three meters you know cube like it's not even a real metric but you didn't even understand because you don't know what it is Nobody knows, but their heart's in the right place. They want to fight it, but they don't have no education about it. So we're not educating the people. Then we're telling people, recycle, recycle, recycle. Meanwhile, over 75% of the problem of the environment is um, energy consumption. It's overconsumption of energy. It's not recycling, but recycling is 4%. So, you know, our our priorities are wrong. It's all misinformation in a sense. And the misinformation comes because all the scientists favor the person who's paying them. So, when the corporation says, Mr. Scientist, write this, or Mrs. Scientist, write this, Miss and Mr. Scientist are writing these reports. So, Compassivist, again, is about that, is about saying, okay, let's take a step back from an artistic perspective. And why art is an arm of Compassivist is because everything starts with art. All movements in the world have started with art. There's not one global or national movement that had a precedent in reality before it had it in art so it was either through a painting a poem a song something artistic that expressed a vision even a speech a powerful artistic speech that made the movement and so i believe we need to reverse back to real art to real creativity and that's what art is art is creativity you know the the da the vinci's these people i mean we don't have that today we don't da vinci drew a helicopter 500 years ago his mind was somewhere else you know socrates yeah. said things that we still use today we still are like oh wow okay you know that's something i can use buddha so many jesus so many people back then said these are these are the orators of uh, you know art then you have the painters then you know this the Van Gogh's Starry nights. I mean, it, it's a marvel of physics. You know, the, the circles are it's a marvel mm-hmm. of physics today. I mean, he was more accurate than most of our scientists were today in his painting. So this is coming from somewhere. This is coming from some version of creativity. We've lost all of that because today a lot of artists who want to have their paintings in galleries in New York have to get commissioned pay, paintings that, you know, they know will sell. So Uh, I'm going to paint rich people's dogs and then say I painted Madame so and so's puppy who is already famous and somebody will want to have it on their wall so the New York gallery is going to carry that. But if I say I'm going to, you know, depict the skid row of LA, and put it on a canvas and really move people by no, no gallery in New York is going to carry that, because your expression is worth nothing. Mm -hmm. And so you know, one of the programs we are developing at East Art is essentially that, giving um, a collective to artists to join so that they can create and they can have funding while creating so that they don't have to rely on following a trend or a fashion. And yeah. so, you know, the... Th- th- and regurgitating stuff that is, is again, capitalist in a sense, because it moves, it sells. Those are the thoughts the artist has when they're doing something, you know. Um, even Warhol wasn't thought, thinking that way. You know, some of the stuff that he did was kind of revolutionary, you know, even now, because um, it was outside of the box. And granted, he was able to do some of those things because he had the funding to do it, but think about it. That's where I'm trying to get at. He had the funding. So he became, Mm -hmm. he was allowed to express himself when he didn't have funding, he was not expressing himself. Right. He was getting funded. Right. So we need to step out of that zone. We need to step out of the zone of just everybody, you know, trying really hard
1: for money Mm -hmm. and and stepping into the zone of creativity. Let me ask you, you know, what, in a practical sense, right? Someone who's listening right now, they're, they're, they're moved by your, your story, your experience by your vision. And they're like, okay, what can I actually do? Like, where, where's a place for me to, to dive into this, to, if I want to be involved, if there's something that I can actually do myself right now, right here today. Right. So there's
0: two ways you could do this.
1: Um, one
0: is with compassivist and one is without, and that's the beauty of compassivist. It's, I'm not I'm not making a business out of this and I really don't care if people join but I care that people make that change. So you can go to compassivs.com or or the other um, you know websites we have or platforms or apps or whatever and you can find them. You do search on compassivs all of those will come up. So if you care to you do that. If you don't my advice is reflect on your own life for a moment sit down you could be anybody you could be a neurosurgeon you could be you know a billionaire you could be um, somebody who's trying to make ends meet and think of if you were funded if you had the money and if you were comfortable what is it and if money was no longer an object in your world what is it that you would love to do what is it that you really want to do what what creative juices why were you placed on this earth you know whether you're religious or atheist doesn't matter you have a purpose in your existence and let me tell you money is something money is not a purpose because uh, if I ask people who was the richest person in 1982 nobody remembers 1971 nobody remembers 1998 nobody remembers but if I tell you name me five artists everybody can so you know what it's the momentum it's the expression that continues the name Moses, whether fable or reality with all of the things that happened in that story doesn't matter. It still exists with us. We still talk about it. But like I said, Mr. 1982 richest person, we don't talk about it. We don't know who that was anymore, right? So it fades. Money fades. It's not real. Momentum is real. So find within you what that one thing is about you that makes the difference in the world. Your existence in that one thing makes the difference in the world. Grab that, run with it. And don't look back and don't fear. Worst case, worst thing that can happen in your life is you're going to eat at a soup kitchen for a little bit. And I did that. I did that. I slept in a train station. I used to uh, be friendly with some of the staff. So they give me the staff um, Wi-Fi so I can I can communicate and and use that for free. You know, and and they did sometimes. So that's the worst that can happen. And you rebuild yourself when you know what you're doing and you have a passion for what you're doing. People see that people align with that and you rebuild yourself and, and you come back. And I'm so much happier today right now here. Than I ever was uh, at my richest at, at at the points where people you know were were um, thinking oh what's you know what's Ali doing what's Ali's next car or something like that I, the, none of those matter none of those matter
1: yeah yeah you can tell just even me having this conversation with you there's this sense of your wealth isn't just money it's it's life it's a yes. rich life a rich existence and. um yeah, I mean, what what better thing to to experience, right? Where we're we're part of this thing, we're giving, we're living Real out value. our true purposes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly.
0: Real value. I mean, that's the thing, right? We we value ourselves wrongly by the numbers of zeros or the dollars in our bank account, and that has become our value, unfortunately. And we we teach that everywhere. We teach that to our kids. A lot of countries in the world, you know, these are stereotypes, but. Go become an engineer, go become a doctor. You know, they push their kids into those fields. And not once do they say, because you'll save a lot of people, because you'll build mm-hmm. better buildings that are more resistant to earthquakes. No, it's always because you will secure your future. So mm-hmm. all our evaluations are about money. And that's not a life. That's not, that's not wealth. That's just, yeah. being a, that's just being addicted. It's You can be addicted to cocaine. You can be addicted to money. It's the same problem.
1: Yeah. The people that that I've talked to that seem to have a a healthier relationship with money are the people who see it as a resource and they they get to steward it and it comes Mm -hmm. in and they go, okay, where can I send this out? What is this going to do? What is this going to do? This isn't something to hoard. This isn't something to just, Mm -hmm. you know, make my life better in and of itself. But how do we use this as a resource? And again, be a steward of that, and um, I, I right. love that kind of picture, of um, because then then it's it's free flowing, then it's it's doing something. There's more of a purpose to it, and, and mm-hmm. of you know beyond itself. So right,
0: and 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 you become a value within your community, your society, globally. Even, I mean, you know, it's it's taking the old school. That's what old school capitalism was about. I mean, you know, you did really well, so that people, you you had an invention. They gave you all the money so that you, you know, put this into perspective and play, Uh, you take your prototype and you build it actually. Why? So that you build this beautiful dam so the country can now have water, you know, without worry, so to speak, or you build these electricity lines because you thought of something genius that nobody has and those were the reasons why you were important, because you gave something with your ingenuity Mm -hmm. and the people put up the money together through taxes or whatever systems it was, and boom, we are all living better. The internet, Wi-Fi, all those things, you know, but it's not about hoarding. It's not about making more. It's not about being that one special rich person of the world. So when people get to that point, I think, they learn to be happy. And that's all we're doing at Compassive East. I mean, we're, we're bringing a lot of people together, some who uh, provide uh, effort and value, uh, you know. Oh, hey, Ali, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I can build websites. Great. Come on board. Right. Hey, Ali, I have no talents, but I have a ton of cash. Okay, great. You know come on board. And it's that smart money that makes the difference, you know, because money's everywhere today. I mean, that 1%, they have a lot of money, and they throw it around and flaunt it and, and whatever. But it's the smart money that makes the change the money that is purpose, like you said, you know, they don't want to use it for their own benefits, but it's purpose to goodness. And, and that's smart money, you know, it travels, it knows its path. It's kind of like, okay, I'm a dollar, but I've been given a mission, and I'm on this mission to to burn myself as that dollar to make these changes happen, and I'm doing it. I'm doing it. You know, and and that's beautiful money. Yeah, yeah,
1: love it, love it. Ali, this has been a, an amazing conversation today, uh, and certainly uh, a little bit different than some of the other conversations I have. But I appreciate that, like, there's at at its core, it it's creativity being leveraged for a better existence, and um, and I love how. It opens up possibilities and there's a place for everyone, and so um, I just want to thank you for for the work that you're doing for listening to that voice and the, those experiences you had that made that shift in you personally. And then you taking that further and going now I want to share that with the world and continue to spread this into a movement so um. Yeah, I just applaud you and and wish you all the best with that and and encourage listeners to to make sure that they go uh can you mention the website one more time we'll put it in the show notes as yeah, well. Yeah,
0: yeah, you can uh, well, you can start at compassivist.com which is c o m p a s s i v i s t e.com. Um and then there is, you know, compassivistsfoundation.org, compassivistpublishing.com. Capacity, dialogues.com. So, uh, we've got we've got a bunch. But if you go to any one of those, you'll find your way around the labyrinth of the octopus that we are. Perfect,
1: perfect. Thank you so much again for time today and for sharing your story. For oh, it's, it's, it's
0: lovely. Thank you for having me. And, and you know, I love programs like this because you're part of whether you want to be or not. You're a compassivist because you're yes. doing this to bring people to change. Right? You're doing this to enlighten. Yeah. You're doing this to use creativity for betterment so Absolutely. you're not you're not a show that says hey this is how you want to invest in your crypto so um you know i respect that that's why i'm here and thank you very much for having me
1: thanks for listening today i'd appreciate it if you would subscribe leave a rating and a review it really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others